Thank you, Rick. In Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, we'll begin in verse 1. While you're turning, let me say thanks to Brother Jeremy for taking care of things while I was away this week. Sharon and I went up to see uh, Nathan up in East Tennessee, made a loop through Atlanta, Georgia on the way home, put almost 1,900 miles behind us between here and there. It was sure good, of course, to get away, but it was also good to be uh, pulling into the driveway. Uh, we drove almost 1,900 miles, did not have a single problem, did not have a single scare, until we were coming through Emerson. <laughs> coming through Emerson on the way back up from I-20, and right out of Emerson, just three miles from the house, two big deer jumped in the road in front of us. I missed it by that much, but I did miss it. I'm, I'm thinking, isn't that something? Come all this way and almost hit an Emerson deer. But uh, thank you for praying for us while we're away. It was good to get away. I appreciate Brother Jeremy. Uh, I have a lot more peace of mind uh, when we're away and knowing Brother Jeremy's here taking care of things. It's so much more peace of mind than I had before uh, when we'd have to call somebody in to fill in. It just makes me feel better knowing uh, uh, he's handling things. And I appreciate Brother Jeremy for that. Uh, now, I'm aware of the fact that uh, the women's class, I was made aware of this fact this morning, the ladies' Sunday school class dealing with this same subject matter, but you're not going to get a rerun. Uh, because I'm dealing with uh, this same passage of Scripture, but we're going a whole different direction. Uh, sometimes preachers like to put titles on their sermons. I don't do it all the time, but sometimes I can't resist. I'm going to be looking at a tale of two journeys. Now, you remember Charles Dickens wrote this uh, big novel, A Tale of Two Cities, and he starts, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. I looked at this past description, and I just couldn't resist being cute. Entitling the sermon, A Tale of Two Journeys. So you, you get the overload of cuteness this morning, but don't expect it every Sunday morning. Don't title all the sermons. Let me give you a summary up till now. I'm also aware of the fact that you've been reading through the Bible, uh, and this has almost been a month, and everybody's reading the same passage of Scripture. And that's kind of fun, isn't it? I think everybody's been enjoying that and been asking questions. We try to answer them as we can. Uh, but I know that this passage you've dealt with this week, so many of you know what, what we're going to be reading about, but if you haven't, let me just give you a sum summary that starts all the way back in, in uh, chapter 37 of the book of Genesis. Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. That's a summary of a lot of other things going on. He's sold into slavery by his jealous brothers taken down to Egypt. God's sovereign hand brings Joseph through a series of events into a position of power in Egypt. Then there comes a famine in the land over the whole area because Egypt affected, but his family is affected up in the land that we would call Israel, the promised land, Canaan land. All of that's affected, and they're getting hungry. Jacob sends his sons the same brothers that sold Joseph into slavery sends them down to Egypt to buy food. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph conceals his identity for several months. Several things happen. 
and he conceals his identity until right now. That's where we pick up the action. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and a lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You will dwell in a land of Goshen. You will be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you come, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. There are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. And he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your animals, and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households. Come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your story of your dealings with us. As we look at history and we look at these men from, from so far away and so long ago, you help us to realize that these messages are for us. This story is our story. Help us to find where we are in your plan. Help us to find where we are in your sight. Help us all to make sure all things are right with you before this morning is over. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Two important journeys to consider that are mentioned in this past description. I want us to look, first of all, 
Our journey through life is pictured in this past description. Our journey through life is actually a collection of several journeys. These journeys can be narrowed down to two types of journeys. First of all, the trips, the journeys that we make voluntarily. These are the trips, the journeys, the decisions that we make. This is the direction of life that we decide. These are the deliberate actions that we do. If you'll back up to chapter 42, verse 1, this whole situation started with a voluntary journey. Chapter 42, verse 1, when Jacob saw there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Now, though they were strongly motivated by hunger, and though their daddy told them to go, they could choose whether or not they went. And they decided to go, and this event that we just read about in chapter 45 all started because of a voluntary journey. And there are many such journeys in Scripture as people who made a choice to go somewhere. And their direction of travel was decided by themselves. They made a choice. They made the first step. They stuck with the journey, and they made the journey. These kind of things happen in our life all the time. If you look in Scripture, we realize, you remember several weeks ago, we looked at the wise men who voluntarily made a journey over to Bethlehem. They took the initiative. They made the choice. They made the preparation. They invested the energy to take that journey. You remember, of course, David. David, when he was a little teenager, his daddy said, you take some of these cheese and bread to your brothers who are on the battlefield. Now, David was instructed by his daddy. David had the choice. Was he going to do what his daddy said or not? But he deliberately chose to make the trip to see his brothers. And then he voluntarily made that trip to the battlefield to face Goliath. Nobody had to command him. In fact, they were telling him not to do it. And though he voluntarily made that trip, although it was a short one, he made a decision, he traveled in a direction, and he got a job done because he decided to do it. Nehemiah saw the condition of Jerusalem after the 70 years of captivity. He made a decision to go to Jerusalem from Babylon and rebuild the wall. He made the trip. Philip, just a couple of weeks ago, made the decision to voluntarily join himself to the chariot of the Ethiopian. Paul made the decision to voluntarily go to the house of Cornelius. He decided to do that. It was his decision that spurred the direction of his travel. Paul, he heard, come down to Macedonia and help us. He changed direction on his trip, and he made the decision to go there. We have people all in the scriptures who decided to make a journey 
It was making a journey in the right direction. But, oh, we have the other ones, too. You remember Samson? Samson decided he wanted to go down to Timnah to get him a wife of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, he was not supposed to get a wife from the Philistines. He had been explicitly commanded by God, by his parents, by all around him, you need to stay away from Timnah. There's nothing good that can come from there. He made the decision, and he stepped toward Timnah and made the journey. He decided to do it. And you remember Jonah. Jonah. God said, you go to Nineveh. Jonah decided he had a better idea. So he made the trip to Tarshish. He turned around. He made the first step. He made the second step. He paid the fare. He got in the ship, and off he went in the wrong direction. In these journeys, the direction of travel was decided by these individuals. In our journeys, sometimes that happens. We make decisions. We make the first step. We head off into a direction. The direction of travel is, is all because of our decision. The direction of travel is our own doing. We bear the responsibility of where the road takes us. And in Scripture, we have people who voluntarily went to the right places. They voluntarily went in the right direction. Then we have people in Scripture who voluntarily, because of their own choice, went in all the wrong direction. Their destination and the consequences of their journey fell squarely on their shoulders because they made the decision. And the same it is with us. We turn in the wrong direction and start with the travel. We bear responsibility where that road leads us. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 26, familiar passage of Scripture is well marked in my Bible. I want to, uh, to share that with you in regards to our journey through life and the voluntary direction of travel that we choose. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you and ponder the path of your feet. Think about where you're going. Think about the direction of your travel. Think about whether it's taking you closer to God or away from God. Is it taking you to safe places or taking you to dangerous places spiritually? Ponder the path of your feet. Think about your direction and let your ways be established. The very next verse, do not turn to the right hand or left. Remove your foot from evil. Now, who bears the responsibility of where our foot is? We do. You see, in our life's journey through life, we have to look at the voluntary directions that we make. But now we can't ignore the whole story in this passage of Scripture, and that is the path we would never plan. And of course, the whole story of Joseph is the path that he would never have planned. Events and circumstances we'd never choose. Stuff ever happened to you and you said, I didn't predict this, I certainly wouldn't have chose this. That's ever happened? Happened to all of us. 
We find ourselves in a situation we didn't ask for, a bad situation, a difficult situation, a situation that requires a lot of prayer and it involves a lot of questions. Events are totally out of control. Looks like things are coming unraveled. Of course, we saw that <clears throat> with Mary and Joseph. You remember that? We saw that with Philip as they were all scattered and he went everywhere away from Jerusalem. Looked like things were totally out of control. But we also said this, God can make sense of it if we choose to make the best of it. Joseph shows us that. Let me say that again. God can make sense of it if we choose to make the best of it. And Joseph chose to make the best of it. He did not choose the circumstances he found himself in. Totally out of his control. An involuntary trip down to Egypt. Three events to look at. First of all, Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Betrayed by his own brothers. He had no control over this. He certainly didn't ask for this. There was nothing right about this. It was totally unfair, totally unjustified. And you know, you might say, well, there's always two sides to every story. And a lot of times there is two sides to a story. There's not but one side of this story, and that is Joseph was done wrong by his brothers. He could have become bitter. He could have blamed God. And because it was all God's fault, I don't want anything to do with God anymore. God's going to do that to me. I'm not going to have any part of it. I'm not going to have any part of a God unless that kind of thing happened. I can't answer all these questions. I've got questions I don't have answers to. So I don't trust God anymore. I don't like God anymore. I'm turning away from him. That could have happened. But Joseph maintained a heart of integrity and decency, morality, and loyalty with God. You know the story. Joseph went down to Egypt with the Ishmaelites and was sold to Potiphar. He rose to a position of authority in Potiphar's house. He attained the trust of Potiphar, and Potiphar trusted him with everything that he had. He said Potiphar didn't know what he had except for what he ate because Joseph was in charge of all of it. Wow. He was a man of trust. He was a man of integrity. Even after all he had gone through, he did not lose his loyalty to God. Oh, but it gets kind of complicated. Potiphar's wife liked the way that Joseph looked. And Potiphar, his wife, it says, cast longing eyes after Joseph. That meant that Potiphar's wife really preferred Joseph over her husband and Potiphar's wife began to make life very hard for Joseph and began to invite him to do things that would be totally against every shred of morality and decency to God. And Joseph responds this way in Genesis chapter 39, verse 8. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Wow. Now you can, you can imagine Joseph said, you know, I'm a slave down here. Things have not turned out the way that I wanted them to. I'm entitled. 
And since I'm owned by Potiphar and I'm in his house and he's my owner and I feel like he owes me something anyway and beside nobody's around here looking, nobody from home's looking, she's putting a lot of pressure on me. I think the easiest thing to do would be do what she's asking me to do. But you know what? He was faithful to even the man that was his owner. And he says, I'm not going to betray that trust. He trusts me with everything that I had. And I'm not going to betray my, my master. Then he said this, and I'm not going to betray God. Wow. You see, he had been done wrong. Life had dealt him a pretty tough blow. How bad was it? We just have a very brief summary of this. Do you know in the book of Psalms, chapter 105, verse 8, it says the fetters hurt his feet, and he was laid in irons. Now, what that meant was he had chains on his neck. Pretty uncomfortable. I don't know how long the ride was down to Egypt with the Ishmaelites. They kept him in pretty tight wraps. It was horrible. It was tough. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. But then there he was, had come to power in Potiphar's house. Of course, secondly, Joseph, falsely accused, framed, sent to prison. You know the story. She keeps on and on and wants him to be un, wants to be unfaithful with him to, to her husband. He keeps saying no. She gets mad and she frames him. She accuses him of something he didn't do, and he's thrown in prison. Wow. You talking about getting bitter? First of all, his brothers betray him, but have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? You ever been blamed of something that wasn't your fault? Just about everybody has. About everybody has. And a lot of times that happens, oh, sometimes we can get bitter. We can get angry. We can get hardened. We can get cynical. And we can get selfish. Because if that's the way it's going to be, I'm going to look out for number one. From now on, it's number one. That's who I'm going to look out after. That could have happened to Joseph. Let me show you what Joseph did. Genesis chapter 40. He's thrown in prison. <clears throat> Two other people are thrown in prison with him. The butler or the cupbearer and the baker. Both of these were very close, trusted employees or servants of Pharaoh. They had done something to make him mad, and he threw him in prison. So it says that they each had dreams. And in verse 5, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt were confined in the prison and had a dream, both of them. Each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. Look at verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of the Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? Now, we look at this and maybe we don't think a lot of it. Here's a man that has been done wrong twice. And he's been dealt some pretty serious injuries in life. And he's thrown in prison, framed for something he didn't do. And there in the middle of the prison, he still has a heart of compassion. Two guys he just met. Hadn't known for long, I'm pretty sure. Didn't know too much about them, except they were fellow prisoners. And here they came looking sad. And he says, why do you look sad today? 
You know, we encounter people a lot who look sad, don't we? And maybe they need somebody to give them a kind word. We continue on. Each of them said, we've had a dream and there's no interpreter of it. Joseph said, don't the interpretations belong to God? Why don't you tell me about it? Wow. You know what he just told these guys? Why do you look so sad? I'm sure God can help you with that. What a heart of compassion. What a heart of love. What a heart that has not been hardened one bit of what has happened to him. Wow. What a lesson as we go through this life on our journey. Then thirdly, Joseph was forgotten. Chapter 4, verse 40, verse 14. He interprets the dreams and he tells them, Remember me when it is well with you. Please show kindness to me and make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Verse 23. The chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Wow. He was slighted, overlooked, disappointed. And this may have been just a mistake. You know, the first two were intentional. But, you know, sometimes people hurt us and they don't realize they've done it. They say something, they do something, they don't even know it. This guy, he was so happy to be out and get back with his life and all, he just totally forgot Joseph. I don't think he intentionally meant to hurt him. But, oh, when you're in the prison and the guy that can get you out forgets all about you, it's got to hurt. It's got to hurt. He felt slighted, overlooked. Disappointed. Oh, but let's look at what happened to Joseph. Joseph never, ever forgot who was leading his life. You know the story, and we begin the action in chapter 41. <clears throat> Pharaoh has some dreams. Pharaoh asked all of his magicians and wise men and sorcerers who can interpret the dream. Nobody can interpret the dream. And finally, the cupbearer, the butler, says, Oh, man, I made a big mistake. I remember now. It's all coming back to me. There was this guy, this Hebrew in prison, and he can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh said, You get him here right this minute. And in verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. There's no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Look at Joseph's answer. Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Wow. He could have claimed credit for all of it. Yeah, I've, I'm, I've got this, but man, it's going to cost you, Pharaoh. No, no. He said, God's the one doing this, and God can give you an answer. Look in verse 25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, 
The dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Is there any doubt in anybody's mind by this time who Joseph is giving credit to and Joseph knows that God is in complete and total control? He never lost his sight of God. He never looked away from God. Wow. Three different times he was hurt. Three different times life didn't go his way. Three different times he had to take some involuntary directions in his life, though it's never specifically stated. The evidence is clear. Joseph did not hold on to the hurts that were inflicted upon him by others. How do we see that? Well, you remember in the passage of Scripture that we read, chapter 45, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. God sent me here before you to preserve life. And in verse 9, he says this to them. Hurry up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me and do not hurry. You'll dwell in the land of Goshen. You will be near me, you and your children, including the brothers who hurt him and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. Look at this. And there, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. Wow. What a heart of forgiveness. What a heart of compassion. How do we know that he didn't harbor any bitterness? Just by his own words. But also, his godly lifestyle and attitudes. Now, how do we know that that has anything to do with a heart of bitterness and anger or a forgiving heart, it's this. Such a heart of compassion and morality and godly lifestyle could not have shared the same space in a heart that was unforgiving and bitter and angry. Not going to happen. When we fill our hearts with bitter bitterness, anger, an unforgiving spirit, there's no room for anything else good. It just fills it all up. It poisons everything that we do. And you look at his track record, you look at the decisions he made and the way he treated others, and it's obvious he had let go of all his bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. You know the passage in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, let all anger, bitterness, wrath, and malice, and all evil speaking be put away from you. And be tenderhearted to each other, forgiving one another, as God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. We look at this as a tall order of what's God asking us to do for him. No, this is something we do for us. We let go of the poison that keeps us from being Christ-like. Joseph tale of two journeys. The first journey is the journey through life. How are we going to spend it? Are we going to continue to make decisions that lead us away from God? We're going to make decisions that lead us toward God. How do we respond to the things that we would never choose and ask for? Will we be like Joseph and maintain our integrity before God? That's the first journey. There's a second one. You may not have seen this, and I don't know if you'll find this in any commentary, because Egypt has always represented 
somewhere that Israel went when they were disobedient to God or driven down there because of they had to go there for, for help and so forth. And, and definitely you wouldn't look at Pharaoh as, as being somebody to look to for a biblical lesson, but I want to look at the invitation. The invitation here, two journeys, don't forget that. There's the journey through this life and the journey from this life. And the journey from this life is pictured in verse 16. In verse 16, he says this. The report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your animals, depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. You will eat of the fat of the land. Now you're commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Don't be concerned about your goods. The best of the land of Egypt is yours. You see, the journey from this life, the journey from this life, we see a clear invitation to come to something better. A clear invitation to come to something better. They were not in a good place. They were in the land of death. They were in the land of famine. And they received this invitation to come to a better place. All through the scriptures, we have the invitation to humanity to come to a better place. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says this, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. They, they be like crimson, they'll be white as snow. Come, let us reason together. You're in a place of death. You're in a place of sin. But come, I'm going to give you something better. Come to something better, which is forgiveness and cleansing. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you that are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy and my burden of life. Come, he said, to something better. You're loaded down. Your life is just weary from all the stuff that you carry. And he said, let me unload it for you. I'll carry the load. Book of Revelation, chapter 22, he says this. Come all you who are thirsty. Let him drink out of the water of life. You see, there's an invitation. Come to a better place. Come to a better way. Come to a better life. And then there's a, a glimpse of what awaited him. In verse 23, he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread, food for his father for the journey. He said, if you don't believe me, he's going to send some stuff. And so Jacob and all the family back home started unpacking all these goodies and said, this is what's over there. Aren't you glad God gave us a glimpse of what's over there through his word? No more pain, no more crying, no more burdens. He wipes away all tears from our eyes. There'll be no more sorrow. That's what he says. It surpasses all of our imagination. That's what he says. Jesus said, where I am, there you can be also. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place just for you. He gives us a glimpse of what's over there. Pharaoh knew that maybe some people would need convincing. So he sent them some things from over there so they could see 
how good it was going to be. And he also gave them instructions. We need this instruction. We need this one. He gave them instructions in verse 20. Don't be concerned about your goods. The best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Wow. I can figure. We're all loading up, going to Egypt. So everybody's going through the dresser drawers and getting all their stuff out, and they're all getting all their things, and they're loading down the carts, and they're getting all this stuff, and they're saying, man, I don't know how we're going to get this stuff. This is too slow of a travel. We can't get all this stuff. We can't carry all this stuff with us. And Pharaoh said, don't worry about stuff. Sure is better where you go. Isn't that what Jesus said? In the book of Luke chapter 12, he said, don't be anxious what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. Life is a lot more than that. And he says, again, later on in the same chapter, he says, don't be over-concerned about the things down here. And he says this, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, when you talk about the journey through life, a lot of times we load ourselves up with a lot of things that we're never, they'll never compare with what our journey from this life is going to involve. So we're concerned about stuff, we're concerned about popularity, or, or we're concerned about prestige, or we're concerned about position, we're concerned about things. And Jesus said, all these things just get in your way. They load you down. Pharaoh said, don't be concerned about your stuff. That's not going to matter when you get here. Wow, who would think that maybe those kind of words had come out of Pharaoh's mouth? But that's exactly what he said. The best of the land of Egypt is here. Then you say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why did he send the carts down? He sent this whole string of U-Haul trailers down to Egypt, up to, down to Canaan land. What, what's up with that? Oh, don't miss this. Don't miss this. He sent the carts not to load it down with stuff, but so they could bring as many people as possible with them. And that is the priority of our journey through life. Not to load ourselves down with stuff and possessions and money and positions, but here's the reason. But to take as many people as we can with us to heaven, that's the priority. And that's the lesson from the journey from this life. And all of us will take the journey from this life. Have we made a decision to go to where God's inviting us to go? Have you made the decision to say yes to Christ, to know salvation, and to have a home prepared for you in heaven? Now, till then... What are we doing? We loading our life down with stuff? Or are we going to carry as many people as possible with us? How we live, how we worship, how we love, what we do. Wow. Two lessons. Journey through this life. Journey from this life. We're all going to take it. God's dealing with you concerning something that you need to make right with him. Why don't we do it today? As we stand and sing. Psalm 121.